living this truth, no matter how painful, is better than pretending anything else. And that that's kind of my bedrock. I re- really have, um, I'm really owning that. Like that just really, like when I say that, when I experience it, I feel it. Like I feel grounded in it, even though other aspects are painful. and mystery of spiritual practice outside of institutional religion. I'm Shane the Catskills, an artist living at the intersection of social justice and spirituality, who spent a decade living in a Zen Buddhist monastery before re-entering lay life in 2019. And I'm Peg Conway, a writer, energy healer, and motherless daughter. I anchored myself in the liturgical rhythms of the Catholic Church for my entire adult life until I just couldn't anymore. In our previous episode, we talked about money as a ritual ingredient. In this episode, we're talking about rituals of healing. Good morning to you. Good morning, Shay. Um, do you want to check in first or do you want me to check in? Uh, you can go first. Okay. First, I just want to state off the top, I'm really working on not saying like and um when we record, because when I listen to our episodes later, it's all I hear and it's driving me a little. Yeah. So I'm working on it and I think slowing down might help. So I'm just naming that from the top so that I can kind of prime my self to practice that. I am arriving super excited about recording with you today. Uh, uh, like, um, wow. Like we always do we arrived very freshly and had our our sort of personal download. And then today's theme sort of arrived. And I feel very excited about that. It's also a few days after the midterm elections. And so I am still processing some wins and some losses and really trying to get my um, heart and mind right around doing another Georgia Senate runoff which I hope that I will never, ever have to do again after this. I really am so not excited about it. That being said, uh, things feel very generative and um, juicy over here, even though kind of the landscape is becoming more and more bare as we get further into autumn. And that's how I'm doing over here. What about you? How are you arriving? Well, I am arriving excited like you. Our our pre-talk kind of was actually a good bridge. I I was we got up really early today, which was lovely because it made the morning longer. And I did a whole lot of things of an administrative household nature. It felt, you know, those tasks that feel good to check off. And I was hurrying up to finish something before our scheduled time. And so I when we first sat down, I was like, <gasps> slightly and not I probably wasn't obvious it wasn't like the big deal but I it was in our pre-chat was a nice little bridge into the um the topic for today and so I'm arriving at the moment quite cheerful I love this so you suggested that we talk about rituals of healing which lit me up immediately and we haven't talked about it at all I feel like we just which is almost funny that here we are 12 episodes in and that 
theme has not arisen, but here we are. I feel like that almost about every theme is like, oh, I can't believe we haven't gotten to this yet. And so we, I love that we haven't like talked about it with each other. We're going to like have the conversation right here. So I'm curious if maybe you would start off by talking about how this uh, theme arrived for you. Very good. Great place to begin. Uh, I have this past week or two or three, really, I have been reflecting a lot on the journey that I have been on writing my memoir, actually having my memoir published in the world, which it came out just about a year ago, a little over two days over a year ago. And a year ago today was my book launch event at a local bookstore. Happy book birthday. Happy book birthday. And just in the last month, I've had the opportunity to speak and interact with people again. You know, these things go through cycles and fall seems like a good time to read about grief and loss. My, For those who are not aware, I wrote a memoir called The Art of Reassembly, a memoir of early mother loss and after grief. My mother died when I was seven of breast cancer. And the, and the story kind of covers a lot of my life in my relationship to that loss and uncovering the emotions. And of course, the writing was a ritual of, of many years, five or six years of exploring my memories, uh, unearthing new memories, you know, unearthing old memories in present time and and reconnecting to old events from a more mature perspective and gaining gaining a sense of truth about my own story. Cause in my family, you know, we, it was the 1970s. People were not expressing grief. Uh, people were it, no, no one children or adults. And then my family was of the carry on kind of culture, which was not uncommon. And, and that was a good thing. I mean, I, that was, wasn't enough for any of us really in the best sense, but it was certainly not a bad thing to continue on with life. Um, and then several years later, my dad remarried and that really, that really buried things more. And we kind of took on the new, the new family identity. And later we, a couple months later we moved. So then I was around people, who, many of whom didn't even necessarily know I had a mom who died. And so it was all very, that was all kind of layering over. And then some, uh, significant events as a young adult brought it out again, and I need, it took many, it took a long time to, you know, I think things that are buried very deep take a long time to come back out. And so over the course of my early mother marriage and early motherhood and into really into middle age, it all came back again when my parents were elders and I was, you know, re-engaging in close contact with them in a different, in a way that I hadn't been. And that kind of helped me understand this is all a spiral. And that really got, that's really got what got me interested in writing about it. I had always been writing here and there, but thinking about this past year has been the, the experience of having the story out in the world. It's also been healing. Um, I came across a journal entry I made as I was preparing for the um, book launch. And I had was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? You know, And I was like imagining myself in the setting. I'm in the bookstore and someone will introduce me and then I will go to the podium and I will look out at the audience, which might be five people or it might be 50 or it might be something in between. And what do I want to say to these people? 
And I realized, and I was having a feeling of, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done to bear my soul and put it out in the world? And then my next thought was, oh my gosh, I really did do this. Like I have put this story together, like both and these were all on my, on my mind. And I realized that I will always, when I'm in those situations, it helps me to set intentions. Like, what am I really here for? This is not about people looking at me. You know, they are looking at me, but there's a purpose here. And my intention is to speak powerfully for grieving children and for adults who were bereaved as children and to make my mom's memory alive again in the world. And with that in mind, then that set the course. And that helped me at that time choose uh, the the passages that I wanted to read to illustrate those different. I read something about from my childhood um, in the days after my mom died. And then I read a passage from later, much later in the book, um, when I was actively researching and writing and kind of interviewing people who had known my mother, which thank goodness, even though she would have been in her late 80s by that point, there were still people who knew who could share some reminiscences. And how I felt, I felt really good. I mean, it felt that was like the writing itself, you know, the, the, we know this from various researchers that the act of writing things down in a reflective way helps people process even very traumatic things. But I have, I, the lessons of the past year have been that even, you know, speaking it, the next step of not just handing into someone else reading. I mean, many people have read my book who I do not know, and I will not know. I won't know how it affected them. I will not connect with them. But in situations where I share out loud in a community of people, it's a very different experience that is healing too, like the sense of being witnessed. I was recently uh, reading David Kessler's book, Finding Meaning for the book club that I run for, um, adults bereaved as children. And that's one of the key things he talks about that grief needs to be witnessed. And um, that's part of healing is feeling like seen, which is a big theme of mine. Oh, so that's where it started. That's where gosh. the rituals of healing. So that this, I've just been on this year long ritual, I think of, of being witnessed and sharing and, um, the, the telling of the story has its painful, I mean, it's painful to relive some things, you know, in memory. And there's been some fallout in my family. Not everyone has the same version of events. And the publication of the book was hurtful to a member, one member of my family. And I have, I, I acknowledge those feelings and I understand them. Um, if I had some things to do differently, I might with knowledge that I have now, but I didn't have that knowledge then. Um, so I try to give myself a grace, even as I empathize with this individual who is remains angry at me a year later and not in touch with me. Um, and I reflect on that and how even so acknowledging, even that that is very painful for me overall, it's healing. It's really healing to be truthful and to say, this was really how it was for me. And even though, you know, people have different, different perspectives on events and different age, you know, perspectives, different places in the story for me, the, the ultimate healing has been, and I, I, this is a line out of the book that, no matter how painful living this truth, no matter how painful is better than pretending anything else. 
and that that's kind of my bedrock. I re- really have, um, I'm really owning that. Like that just really, like when I say that, when I experience it, I feel it. Like I feel grounded in it, even though it, other aspects are painful. Mm. Truth, the truth is, is healing. Wow. I thank you for opening the tap. I feel like this is so powerful. There's so much that came up as I was listening to you. First of all, just happy book birthday for real. I um, have read the book and something that I was struck by actually, before I get to that, I, I wanted to just, something came up when you were talking about, you know, you lost your mom really early. And then, um, when your dad remarried, there was kind of a, it was almost like there was this process of erasure that happened from the moment your mom died until the moment that things start that you started to like sit down and like excavate. So it was like this spiral of sort of things disappearing and invisibilizing, and then you kind of unearthing and making them visible again through the book. And um, what struck me when I read the book was you have this way of orienting throughout the book. I I felt like that was such a theme for me of Hmm. that, like, and now that I know you better and we're doing this podcast, it makes sense to me that that you kind of, it almost feels like the first thing you do in, in sort of the narrative situation is to orient, you know, you are in this space. This is what is here. This is, so I, I felt sort of dropped spatially into these places where I could look around and kind of inhabit the place. And that was something that I really took with me from the book that I thought was, you know, very much, um, was powerful for me, this orientation. Um, what you're saying about, you know, there's the ritual of writing the book and then there's the ritual of, you know, putting it out in the world, you know, and all the different ways to do that made me think of, there's an American artist named Betya Sar. And she is like a a collage artist she makes. And I saw some presentation or story about her. And she had like a four-step procedure for her art making, which involved, you know, using, you know, found objects. And, but the fourth part of the procedure was to put the artwork out in the world. Mm. And, And that's what I thought of when you said that. There is something that happens in that piece of you know, which is interesting to think about my own art practice where I don't really put things so much out in the world. Um, Interesting, just noting that, Mm -hmm. that I think that's really fascinating that, um, you know, you're having the experience of that part of the process. Also, I'm curious to sort of hear about, as you were talking, I was thinking about storytelling in general, story as a healing modality Mm. because we're meaning-making creatures. Uh, Stories are about power, uh, the micro and the macro. And so to not only like excavate and unearth this story, but to give it a shape, to make these, you know, choices, to give it a particular shape, to match that uh, somatic embodied experience of truth for you you know, to have the shape of the story. I'm just curious if you, if there's anything that you, that you could say about that process of shaping the story. Oh, yes. That's a great question. I initially just started writing, like 
I would write about, I, I took some online, I was in some online groups, you know, to spark memoir writing. And it was a very generative process at the start, of course, writing kind of randomly scenes and, and memories and just, and then starting to put it together into a book. And honestly, I look back at myself and think, what hubris. I really didn't know how to write a memoir. I mean, I did, I did Thank take goodness, instruction. Right? I did take instruction from people, but I think I could have been a little more orderly about it. But so what? It's fine. But I did go through a phase of like I I had put things together into initial draft of a book. It was, you know, 50 some thousand words, not super long at that point, but and then I began I got some input from other, you know, sort of editors. One at ed, one one editor in particular who basically said it's not ready. This is not a, you know, this is vengeful. It's, you know, you don't come across well. And, you know, and she was very kind and very, thank you know, goddess for editors, right? Yes. She, it was hard to hear, but she had specific, you know, points. And I, I understood where she was coming from. And I realized I, I came to a, th- a process of thinking, maybe I don't need to make this a story for other people. Maybe this process of, of purging for myself was enough. Maybe that that's all like, cause I could clearly see that there was a difference between writing to express and generate memories and honing a story to be shared with readers. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't sure I had, I wasn't sure I had the energy for that or the desire. I didn't use that word. I did kind of use that word. Is this what I want to do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I have it in me. So I set it aside. That was like in June of 2018, I think. And I set it aside as it was summer, you know, just, I'm just going to take a break from this and I may or may not come back to it. And then in the late summer and into the fall, I had the opportunity to take some soul collage classes from a woman that I knew and I loved it. It was so much fun. And she, I went to a center, this was pre COVID. I went to a center and it was all in person and she provided all the materials and she had nice exacto knives and really nice glue. And her images were from, um, a lot of calendars and art books, not just magazines. So they themselves, all the textures, the whole tactile experience. Mm. And I had been horrible in in art. And that, that that's not what I mean. I was never super comfortable with um, fine motor activity. Like cutting was never, my cutting was never straight. My glue was always mess, but I somehow managed to over, come across over that threshold and just enjoy myself and not overstress about, you know, standards or anything. And so I really, I just really got a lot out of that. And then also during the fall, I began to miss my memoir. I thought, oh, I used to work on it. And oh, maybe I'd want to. It's like calling out to you. It was like, "Mm, I miss it. That's a sign. And so I got it out again. And I, in fact, I had forgotten that I had actually started revising the beginning and I read the 20 pages that I had revised. And I was like, oh, it was like I'd never so seen, bad. It's almost yeah. like I'd never seen it before. I go, oh, this isn't bad. Hmm. Who wrote so this? May, yeah. Maybe I want to, maybe I want to do this. And then, you know, that expression, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I received an email from a woman I had met at a conference of who's a was a freelance editor. And she was seeking, you know, she was just saying she had some openings if anyone, you know, was taking on some new clients. And I thought, oh, she was super nice. I would like to work with her. And I enjoyed her memoir. And so 
at the beginning of 2019, I started working with Nadine, Nadine Kennedy, Nadine Kenny Johnstone is her name. And it just kind of felt, it, it didn't come together super easily, but it was like a mosaic, like, cause I had a lot of stuff written already, but what I needed was a clear through line of what is, what is the story I am telling so that I know what belongs or what belongs in what place. And it, it became clear that it had to do with the story of who I am and where I belong and who is my mother and what that unearthing the story to know my story and have the story on the outside. This is who I am match my understanding mm. of who I am. Have that be aligned. Mm. And so that I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, so the visual, I really, in retrospect, I really believe that the work with the images helped me um, process more so that I gained, like I could see the narrative as something that could live outside of me. It wasn't like my personal heart on, I mean, it is my personal heart on the page, but that I could bring to bear my own, my, all my skills to make it something that other people could enter into and appreciate. I mean, not only did you answer the question, but I feel like you like served a big old meatball right over the plate. I'm, I'm like so carbonated over here. First of all, you said the word mosaic, which has been like resounding in my body this whole time you've been talking Aww. because that was my first, that was my first sort of, um, Actually, I started doing collage a little bit, and then that quickly fell into mosaic. I and, remember you telling me this now. Yeah. And so as you're talking, I'm sort of thinking about like, we're talking about rituals of healing. And for me, there seems to be something about either cutting things up or chopping things up like rocks and putting them together into like destroying something and then creating something from those pieces. Uh, the art of reassembly much? Hello, like, surely. <laughs> oh my God, it's incredible. I mean, there is I something- never thought about that with collage though. I love that. Yeah, I mean, the art of reassembly, I mean, I feel like that is a subtitle for like a ritual of healing. It's, you know, mm. you know actually that what, you know, it's what we, or we could say that healing is about, you know, um, or that when we're wounded, you know, something is rent apart or separated or put outside or exiled or, or people you know. express feeling. And this is in my grieving state, I felt broken. I mean, as a motherless right. child, I felt broken because other people had mothers. It was a very strange way to be at that time. And then when I became more aware of my grief in young adulthood, then I felt broken by all of it. Like, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to do this. So, so the, so healing as a reassembly, you know, making the beautiful out of the brokenness is, and, and the sort of agency and empowerment that comes from being the agent of and the shaper of that reassembly mm -hmm. is and it's it's you used the word somatic earlier and that's i resonate with that that even writing is a somatic process when you when you kind of have a like a aha of oh so that's really how i felt when i was writing my book i would you know write about different instances and then sometimes the next day i would go back and reread it and i would write about writing about that like 
oh, I felt really sick afterward, or oh, my head hurt, or I'm very surprised that I forgot that such and such, you know, like I would reflect on what I remembered and that felt really good. That felt further enlightening, I guess. There's something about, you know, so much of the process is not, some of it is conscious, but most of it is is other things too. And so when you talk about the images unlocking things, you know, I'm having my own experience of that. I'm taking a class with Suzette Clough, and we're going to put links to everything in the episode notes, but the class is called Painting with the Universe, and I'm in the middle of it. So um, how many weeks is it? I think it's six weeks, and we've done two weeks so far. She is an incredible artist. She's been painting for over 50 years. I think her work is completely mind-blowing, especially, I mean, just visually it's mind-blowing and then you read about her process and what she's like up to in it and it's like further mind-blowing and she teaches this process that she developed called visual medicine and i'm going to put a link to that too it's an intuitive painting process and um i don't i'm not going to get into the whole like nuts and bolts of it but essentially it's it's really taking away the part of painting that's about i'm going to create an image Mm. you know, with my, my intentions, the whole sort of premise is that actually the universe or however you want to frame that is like communicating all the time. The way an Oracle, you know, is speaking, Mm. the world is speaking to us all the time. And the paintings are a way to have this co-creative process of a conversation essentially. I'm not sure that's exactly how she would frame it. Um, And I encourage anyone who has a chance to work with her to work with her. What sounds like if it's intuitive, if that's your experience of it, that that is probably a legitimate description. That's how you're experiencing it. She's an incredibly powerful and affirming teacher. You know, having had teachers who were men most of my life, that pretty much all the teachers I'm working with now are women. And not to be gender essentialist, because I don't like to be gender essentialist about anything. And it's been an amazing experience, a very different experience. And so she has a whole procedure that I'm not going to sort of talk about because it feels like her teaching. But essentially what's been happening for me when I have been using the procedures, you know, I've been having this back pain and I've been sort of asking questions about like, what is my back pain trying to tell me? And using the procedure with the images that I create in the class, what's been coming up for me very strongly are messages having to do with my monastic life and my time at the monastery, which I can tell you, quite honestly, is not on my conscious mind in a way that I'm aware of. And yet the messages are so specific and unmistakable. Like it's, it's laugh. I laugh out loud, you know. And I think laughter is like a prime yes indicator of spiritual truth and is so healing like to, it's a to breaking gain an of intention yes. yes to gain an insight that makes you, about something serious that, that makes, makes you, you laugh, laugh. Yeah. i mean that's just that's yeah. brilliant and beautiful so i'm really struck by and this is why i was so excited to talk about this with you today is because I started doing art practice. I mean, I was doing art practice the whole time I was at the monastery because it was part of our training, but it was about almost a decade in before I really fell into it. And eventually my art practice is what feels like it built the bridge that 
got pulled me out of there. Right. Right. Like I'm actually not a monk. I'm an artist and I'm not an artist who makes paintings and exhibits them and sells them. I'm an artist who makes paintings as medicine for my healing. That's very, very much what my art practice has always been about. And so just kind of reliving this sort of like working with mosaic, breaking things apart and putting them back together. And now with these very, um, you know, mosaic is such a slow process, especially Mm. when you're cutting your own stone by hand, you like go out and forge the stone and then you wash them and then you chop them up into little bits that are like square. And then you it's, and I think that that was a really interesting first medium for me because it slowed me down so much, Hmm. you know, it's such a slow, you're not going to just like make something really quick. And now here I am like making these paintings really quick and they're like talking to me. And so I am just a huge, like personally, uh, I feel like my ministry is about the healing power of stories and creativity, Mm -hmm. you know, that those two intuition is a big part of your wheelhouse as well. Oh, thank you for encouraging and drawing on it. Yeah. I mean, it's been, and I feel like when, when we, you know, it's one thing to do it kind of in the privacy of your own self, your own mind. And then when you start to open up that process, like working with an editor or working in a class or working in a group, like we do with tarot, there's something else that happens in that. Maybe this is a little bit, not the same as what you were talking about, about putting the work into the world. But once you open up beyond your own private solitary work, there's something else that gets introduced. These other elements and perspectives and what people see and think that can kind of turn turn something in a way that can also be really healing and you know just this and to realize that they what what other people when you have these communal experiences of your own artistic work sometimes it's it's not part of you what they are experiencing is not part of you like there is there are times where other people's reflections and reactions will be something you want to take in as, oh, this is adding to my artistic impression or satisfaction. And other times it's, oh, that's, that's their reaction. And that doesn't actually change my, my foundation in this work or my perspective of my own work or my experience of creating my own work. I find that at least with writing, because lots of times people receive a story that, you know, it's something that happened to them that I don't even know about. You know, there's just a lot it's similar with visual art or other art forms. And I think that it can be very an empowering part of the process to know the difference for yourself. Yes. Yes. And the other thing that I was thinking about when you were talking about working on your memoir and something that I think has a lot to do with, with these creative processes that we're talking about and shaping stories and reassembling things is not wasting anything. Mm. Right. I mean, you have this experience of tremendous loss at seven years old. And to when you were talking about giving giving talks about the book and like being more public about it, being a mouthpiece for this, it's kind of like nothing is wasted when we are able to actually have a process that is intuitive and creative and meandering and confusing and, you know, um, 
that inspires laughter, all of those things that we are actually, you know, Sophie Strand talks about like make me good compost. And and I'm not, you know, saying that this is exactly what she's talking about, but it makes me think about that, about how the the difficulties, the sort of what we would call brokenness or the things that are really painful become the soil for us to um become the compost for new life to grow out of that we mm-hmm, mm-hmm. can shape with our desires and intentions. And, you know, it's a very um, almost amorphous, very like over a long period of time ritual, you know, writing a book or making artwork or, you know, or telling a story differently. And here I just want to really shout out my friend, Bethany Saltman, who wrote a book called Strange Situation, A Mother's Journey Through the Science of Attachment. She worked on that book for 10 years. It is exquisite. It is both her memoir and a deep dive into attachment science, not the sort of um, supermarket magazine attachment style quiz, but like the science of attachment, how it actually works. It is an incredibly amazing book that to me is about the power of the story we're telling about what happened and what Mm. is happening and how that is, we always have access to that, you know? And it can change over time. Exactly. And that is very powerful. I also think about stories as, you know, a form of ritual in political organizing in, you know, my political home surge storytelling is a part of every action and they do workshops, you know, um, teaching us how to actually craft a story about our mutual interest with whatever issue we're working Mm. on. And to hear people tell these deeply personal stories that connect to, you know, why protecting abortion rights is important or why protecting voting rights is important is very, um, you know, we're living inside stories all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, to sort of really take ownership of our story, to share it and let it be shaped and changed um, by the world to bring it closer to the shape of truth for us. I mean, that just feels so powerful. You said it. Is I feel like we could talk about this really for <laughs> episodes upon episodes, but which we always say about every topic, know, right? And it's true. It's, it's true. part of the liturgy of bringing it in for a landing is that we say that. We have, um, and we have to acknowledge that each each episode has its own container. That's right. Um, is there anything else though that you want to, say about this um i'm so grateful that you brought this up today this well, is it i'm going to be thinking about this for for days as as we often say our inspire just going with inspiration of the moment is usually our best guide and i want to acknowledge that even speaking today about my experiences of telling my story as a ritual of healing has itself been a kind of ritual of healing or of, of yeah further healing reflecting on it you know after a period of time so thank you for that i mean nothing's ever done is it that's like the good news well, bad news true. right that is true so our checkout question for today is what something that you're reading right now well i mentioned i was reading david kessler's finding meaning i only read part we were only reading part of it for the book club um and that's i've read that before that was interesting actually to reread it again um from a different you know 
longer period of time. Um, I'm also reading Sharon Blackie's latest book called mm. Hagitude, Reimagining the Second Half of Life, you know, menopause. Um, and it's it's good. I'm enjoying it. There's lots of stories. She draws on a lot of myths and encourages uh, connecting to the land as a source of, you know, inspiration and belonging. And she's also into a lot of um, Jungian and some academic things. So sometimes I'm like, eh, not really into that. But the overall, the overarching narrative is quite, is quite thought-provoking and helpful. Is there anything in particular in that that's has you chewing on it or that you're kind of that's knocking around inside of you while you're reading it? Um, well, interestingly, she talks about the alchemy of menopause. You know, the physical symptoms sometimes are actually of a burning nature. And it caused me coincidentally relating to today's theme to reflect on the writing of my book as part of a menopausal journey, like mm. the telling the truth and, and burning off artifice is a experience of a, one of many types of experiences women have, but it is a theme that she has found in people's women's experiences of menopause that it, there's a distillation around what's really important and what do I want to do with the time I have left and mm. often a more of a more inner desire driven kind of path emerges so that all resonates with many things that I think about on a regular basis yeah it's it has me thinking about like the last quarter moon and the balsamic moon that sort of distillation and turning inward and exactly very um, similar thing. amazing I am reading, I just started Maggie O'Farrell's new novel, Portrait of a Marriage, about mm. one of the um, Medici daughters in 1560s Italy. I read her novel Hamnet, and I thought it was incredible. And so um, I saw this and put a hold on it. It finally came in. And I had started Station Eleven and gotten like three quarters of the way through it. And I just couldn't finish. I watched the series first and I feel like it poisoned the well for the book. Oh, I'm sorry to that'll say. Happen. That will happen. Yeah. So, and then I've also been dipping in and out of rest is resistance, which um, I will put a link to the liturgical book club where I am going to be inviting people on zoom with me to read the book out loud an hour at a time. So not a book club where you're reading first and then we're discussing it, but we're actually reading the book out loud together. Hopefully people can drift off and take naps while people read. That would be ideal. And um, I have no idea how long it's going to take. And uh, I'll drop a link to that. It's free and there's um, a time to come in the evening and a time to come in the morning, one hour a month. And I really just feel like excited to be reading that book with other people. I feel like it's so, so deep. It's the deep end of the well is like, you know, she is really plumbing something much deeper than I feel like is in most of the culture. And so I'm excited to, I'm excited to do things with other people. And mm -hmm. I think part of that is um, our experience doing this podcast has made me think of like, oh, collaborations can just feel completely delicious. And, and that's it period. Right. That's the whole point. Full stop. Um, yeah. I've listened to her interview on the, we can do hard things, uh, podcast and I'm interested in, in the book for sure. Yeah. I'll link to that too. That was a great episode. Is there anything that you want to let folks know about that you're up to right now? Not particularly. I'm actually going to 
have a little rest period in December and January, not offering too much, always doing healing touch appointments though, virtually and in person. And people can reach out to me via my, the contact form on my website for that. And really speaking of rest, if you need to relax, I would really recommend getting a healing touch session from wherever you are, because Peg can do them across time and space. And they're amazing. (laughs) In fact, I should hit you up for one of those for my back, actually, now that I'm saying that. Um, And what do I have going on? My newsletter, as usual, you can sign up at my website. My questions uh, workshop is happening Saturday, December 17th at noon Eastern time. There's still plenty of space. I would love to see you there. And this is our penultimate episode of season one. I'm just going to say that that word. word. I'm so glad you got to use it. (laughs) Me too. And, um, Yeah, I look forward to finding out what we're going to talk about at the next episode right before we start recording it. You got it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Peg. Talk to you later. 